Hello, everyone. I am Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, the gap between you and your highest potential. Imagine being nine months pregnant and deciding to start a business, a business you did not know much about. Years later, you become a single mom to, by then, three daughters. You're a woman, a mom, a business owner. This is not conventional. It's not easy, and it requires more. Well, this is the story of Janelle Bruland, and the fire she lived through uh, gave her a significant insight into human potential and unconventional business practices, such as owning a thriving business. You'll be surprised to hear how, th- how thriving uh, and never putting in overtime hours, not even putting in full-time hours. Uh, literally, she's done it all on part-time hours as a single parent. The primary motive for starting her business was so she could be a devoted mother. Well, Janelle came to me from Tom Ziegler, and he said, we've got to have her on the show. She has a new book titled The Success Lie, Five Simple Truths to Overcome Overwhelm and Achieve Peace of Mind. Uh, today, Janelle has 500 employees and 250 subcontractors, uh, part of her facility management company team. And she's on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies. Uh, you can connect with Janelle at the successlie.com where she has a companion workbook to her book and find her intentional leadership podcast wherever you get your podcast. So uh, I'm going to bring Janelle to you in just, uh, just a second. I think you're going to just enjoy hearing about the success in these unconventional ways. And yeah, talk about achieving a high potential, really inspiring. So we'll start off with Janelle right after I bring some great products and services to you. Well, Janelle, I, I got to admit uh, that when I first read the book and got into your story that, uh, you know, here you are and you started a business and I have a wife who has had seven kids, uh, biological kids by birth. You started a business at nine months pregnant. And I thought that's, that's more than a little odd. It wasn't seven months, <laughs> not seven months pregnant. It's not a month after, but really nine months into it. And you didn't really say in there what prompted that timing. I want to know. Okay. Well, I'm happy to share. You know, I had been working in a career job in the medical field as an administrator for a number of years, and I was just really grinding away, working way too many hours. And a change happened with with that job where I left that and shortly after found out that I was pregnant. Mm. And so really the journey of my pregnancy was thinking about, you know, God, what is it you want from me now? Because this really hasn't been working. I haven't been being the mom that I want to be and really started looking at what my priorities were. And I thought I would like to look at being able to do something from home where I could be primarily a great mom to my kids, but also use my business gifts and skills. And so I had the opportunity to start a small cleaning company and it just kind of came about where it was toward the latter part of my pregnancy where the opportunity really became available and it was hot. And so yes, nine nine months pregnant, I'm signing the paperwork to start up my own business out of my living room running a small janitorial cleaning company. Yeah. Well, and I do, you mentioned that I appreciate that your motive was family focused. I know, you know, my wife sometimes is with having kids is looked at what she would call career woman, women. And she's like, how do you know, I don't know how they do that and how they have that focal point, but you did it for that reason. And I know my, uh, my kids, I've never uh, been an employee since I've had kids. And so much of it was for just what you said, it's for the flexibility. And even though we as entrepreneurs sometimes talk about we may work even more so than we would otherwise right. having right. that flexibility is to me second to none. And, I, and I'm going to get into more of the details of you talking about how you have, uh, again, really oriented your business around your family is significant. I really want people to hear that message. I think that'll resonate with so many uh, women, men, all of us. Great. Happy to do that. Tell me why janitorial, because you talked in there, you say, you know, first meeting that you had uh, to, to get this kicked off. You didn't know a ton about it. Did you just see that there was an opportunity or had you seen a problem that you thought you could fix? What drove you to this industry that, again, you said it's not like you grew up in this and had some incredible knowledge in there? 
Right. Great question. Well, I always had an entrepreneurial mindset and doing a number of things on the side. I was investing in real estate. I was doing some management consulting and I was actually working um, with a small company, a janitorial company and helping them with that. And that's where I got to learn a little bit about it and had the opportunity to get myself inset into that and thought, you know what, I don't know much about this, but I know a lot about management and about business. And this is something that I may not know about the janitorial side, but that I can learn and I can bring, I can bring to it uh, what, what I know as far as business practices and taking care of clients. And that's what I can bring. I can learn the rest. And, yeah. and as I mentioned in my book, I started my very first meeting with just a handful of uh, janitorial team members. And I said to them, you know, you guys, I don't know anything about the janitorial industry, but you do and you can teach me about it. Um, but I do know something about business and I can bring that side and together we can take really great care of our clients and take care of each other. And this company will grow and we'll, we'll do well and thrive. And, and that's, ex that's exactly what happened. We work together as a team and having the right team around you, of course, makes all the difference. And I wore yeah. all the hats in the beginning for sure. <laughs> well, there's a book that I have not even totally read yet. It was sent to me. They want this uh, guy, the author, to be on the show, but it's called Billion Dollar Brand Club by Lawrence. I think it's in Gratia. And I read an excerpt somewhere recently where he was talking in there and about how many of these billion dollar brands the founders didn't know so much about their industry and how you know interesting that is. And so you depict that. So you talked about hiring people who knew. Did you lean more on that? I'm gonna hire people who already know the industry initially than you sitting down with, you know, janitorial one on one and figuring it all out. Yes, I did. I really, uh, on, on that side of it, had them teach me what they knew about the industry themselves. And of course, did my own self-studying as well. And I, I really believe the leader, it's our role to lead from the front, but also to come alongside. And I needed to roll my sleeves up and, and learn all about it. And so I got in and I cleaned with the team and, mm. and, and got out there and did the job with them. And, and I really believe that's important. And I've always had the the mantra of you need to come alongside the team you need to come alongside and you need to be willing to do whatever job that you're asking your team members to do and that's been successful for us so just from a technical standpoint that people will wonder i i read that what you said just a minute ago you when you first started the company you had the first team meeting as you're kicking off you had some people already set up did you i assume you had some some aspect of startup money whether it was your own that you saved or some investor money how did you make that happen to have people ready to go to work day one Yes, um, I did have some savings that I started with. You know, fortunately, the janitorial industry is a pretty easy startup industry. It doesn't require a large amount of capital and because you're going to work at your client's facilities. So you need to be able to have the supplies and equipment to take care of that. But it's a pretty easy entry uh, job industry from that standpoint. But yes, I had money saved, money saved up to get started yeah. and and certainly, you know, as I consult and coach now other entrepreneurs and people that are starting up, I always say, you know, make the plan for the bigger things that you want, but start out on that shoestring. You don't want to go out and buy all the fancy trucks and the fancy equipment. I mean, we had used equipment that we used for a while and, and a lot of people get into trouble when they go into some big debt and getting these big loans for all the fancy equipment. And it's just... It's just not necessary. And as you're beginning, it's not the way to do it. And then when you're making a profit, then you can be putting aside those funds to buy, buy the bigger you, items. You talk in there uh, right at the beginning, as our, you said, as our clients' businesses grew, so did, so did we. And not to specifically talk about, again, the janitorial services, but just for those who are looking or involved in B2B opportunities, uh, that's really great. As you are servicing them as they grow, you do by proxy. I mean, how many people right now started off working for you know Uber, uh, had them as a client that they don't need any more? Uh, that growth right there has driven their business or right. you know Amazon Prime right now, people involved with those. And uh, what a great way to to focus on, yeah, am I going to get involved serving a business as they grow? We are going to grow. Did that really spearhead? How did that affect whether you needed to even market beyond what you were, who you were servicing at the beginning? 
Yes, great, great question. Listening was a big part of it and just being really attuned to not having my own plan that was so set in stone that it was immovable. And so as I got out and started visiting with clients and we were taking really great care of our clients in that service area we were providing, building that trust with the client was first and foremost. When that happened and that trust was there, they began to ask questions of, of how can we do this or can you do that? And I began to get questions like, uh, do you know somebody that we could call to take care of our plumbing? Um, who do you know that could do our landscaping? Is there somebody that could wash our, you know, take care of washing our windows? Who could paint our building? And because I'd been in real estate and doing some property management, I was connecting my clients with people that did this and realized that this is a niche. This is something that, that I can do for the clients and it would take a burden of the facility management off of them if, if I took care of this. And this is kind of fun to take care of this. I can do this. And so that's really how we went from a janitorial company to a full service facility management company where now we take care of everything from the route to the parking lot throughout the Northwest region and can really be that one call source for, for our clients. And it started small with, um, as an example, I was outsourcing carpet cleaning and that was a, a service that, that fit in really well, of course, with the janitorial side and then started to look at that and going, hmm, you know, this is something that I continue to be asked more for. Would this make sense for me to bring in house? Mm -hmm. And so it looked at that. And, and once I did some calculations, I realized that the ROI on that of buying my own carpet cleaning system and hiring my own specialists would, would make sense. And so made that decision, bought a carpet and cleaning system and uh, hired somebody who had that expertise. And so as the clients asked for new services, I began to surround myself with team members that were specialists in those areas. And that's really step-by-step step how the company grew. So speak to that as, as we're, as we're talking to so many people with businesses out there that are different, because as you are consulting and guiding other people with businesses, sometimes people get in trouble doing that same thing. How do you vet or how do you counsel to vet what you should bring on or what you should not? I'll never forget a company. They did window washing a uh, mm -hmm. long time ago and they, they hired me to help them. And same thing had happened because they were trustworthy. They got asked, hey, can you do some deck repair? Can you do some painting? And they started diversifying. But it really, uh, it, it wasn't working for them because it was just really outside of the interest of the owner. And so here right. they had gotten really broad. And he said, well, I we enjoy it more over here on the window cleaning side. We make more money. And so we really helped position him back there. Now here you have success doing the same. But you know that if somebody's out there providing good product or service, they often and get more opportunities and then you get stuck in that space of going where should I expand where should I stay in my lane I think a lot of people get confused and stuck in that arena how do you guide there definitely well I, I ask a few questions and you you mentioned it about what where is the owner's passion mm -hmm. and I think it has to to make sure that it aligns with what your vision is for the company and the direction that you want to take the company you, you want to be willing to adapt to your customer needs but you also need to know when to say no and as an example we were asked to to do a number of services that we said no to that we didn't expand to okay. security services as an example a lot of in, a lot of colleagues in our industry do security services and we evaluated that as a management team and just decided that that wasn't a route that okay. we wanted to go so i think that that's as each opportunity comes along there's a lot of i call it shiny object syndrome you yeah, know there's a sure. lot of shiny things that come along that we, we may get distracted by. And that's why it's important to set the goals of your company and then to revisit them and make sure that if you've set up these particular priorities, these particular service lines, that you stick with that um, and then reevaluate from time to time to see if you, if you need or want to adjust. Okay, well, on that note of, of setting the vision of the founder, the entrepreneur, coming back to family again as your primary purpose, uh, really appreciate the story. So you hired an industry consultant who you respected and yes. you talked about wanting to grow the business, but work less than full time. And you were told by this person that you had hired, that you respected, that you wouldn't be able to continue to grow without anything less than full time and actually needed to commit to more than 40 hours, 50, 60 hours. 
And right. you, of course, did not uh, did not follow that, and you decided to commit <laughs> to part time. Over the next two years, you grew one hundred and thirty percent. Okay, so as we read that, and as we understand that, do you look at that and say you chose? I don't know if you say you chose to, but you you were able to do that because you worked smarter. Or did you, you could theoretically, and I'm just, I'm putting the options out there maybe that to see what you did, but obviously you could look at that and go, you know, I'm going to take less personal income and hire and delegate. So I don't have to do full time or how did it pan out for you to be able to stick to your value, part-time work Mm -hmm. and yet Mm -hmm. grow your company? How'd it work out? Well, I will say that that is a constant challenge. And I'm sure for a number of the listeners today who are high achievers, Mm -hmm. I love to work and I have a a big work ethic and it just brings a lot of joy and satisfaction to work. So I am one of those that has to pull myself back because I could become a workaholic. I, I did for a while, had to pull myself back from that. And you know, with this conversation with the consultant, I was realizing that there was a lot of opportunity in our business. And I had been maintaining a part-time, less than full-time work schedule to be there for all of the growing up moments of the kids and really respected this mm-hmm. consultant and thought, I'm going to meet with him because I just see some big opportunities here. And he told me just exactly what you said, that you know, Janelle, that this isn't going to work, you know, great idea, but you know, you, you need to really put the time and effort and a lot of hours to take this to the next level. And two decisions came out of that. The first, um, he told me I can't do it. And I don't deal with that very well. People telling me that I can't, then I want to figure out a way that, that I can. And so that really posed the question for me is, well, he says I can't. And I believe that we can do most of what we set our mind to. And I'm going to figure out a method to that. Uh, And part of that was really learning how to work smarter, um, evaluating what I was really the best at in the company, where I brought the most value, what I not only was most passionate about, what I loved doing, but where I brought value to the company, and then looked to delegate the rest to other people that could do it better. And part of that at that time was uh, really looking at the operation side, which I'm more vision strategy, people love developing people and the operation, the day-to-day details was, was not my strong suit or where my best value was. And so really looked to hire a very strong operations manager who could take care of those day-to-day the day-to-day operations of the company. So definitely did some strategic thinking about how do I narrow down our, you know, our focus as a team. So we're all working most of the time on what we're very best at. And that just made us more efficient um, and helped us to grow. The other piece of it was just, as you said, making the decision that, you know what, Uh, my family comes first. So if I put in a tremendous amount of hours, um, that's going to get me to a certain point. And I probably would be able to grow, to have been able to grow faster, be a larger company than we are today. But that wasn't what was most important. What was most important was my family. And so I made that that decision there. Um, And I fundamentally disagree with the fact that working and having this badge of honor of I can work more hours than you and putting in just a ton of hours over a consistent period of time leads to career burnout. It, it just doesn't work. You get to a certain place and you are not effective anymore. You're not an optimum performer if you're not taking time off to take care of yourself and to rejuvenate. And so I really had to learn that for myself. And it's really, it's made a huge impact in my life. And now I, you know, I teach that to my teams and I've had that particular operations manager that I had to kick in the backside and say, you know what, you're going on vacation, buddy, because you need it. I mean, you're crabby, you're not effective. And um, we all know that you need it and had to take his phone and help him and his family get on a vacation. And it was the the best thing for him. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and my talk with Janelle Bruland, author of The Success Lie. Next, we talk about Janelle's 500 employees and the weight of her influence in leading them and the reality that some business owners won't want to have a business model where they would have that many people to manage like Janelle does. So really important uh, you know, separation between those two in comparison. So we'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. 
kind of the spirit of how you're you're running things there too. I want to pull out another piece just for people to hear uh, different sides of, of business. Uh, you talked about being approached by a manager. You said, you said, Janelle, you're always this. You said it was during a down, a down economy. You're always the one that puts the wind, the wind in our sails, but you can also take it out. So when I read that in the book, I was actually at home and I was thinking about how relevant that is for me as a parent. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a business owner, as a, as a parent, we are choosing to lead and influence others. But you did put yourself in a place. How many employees do you have today, Janelle? I don't know if I read that. I have uh, just under 500. Just under 500. Okay. You have a business where you are, you know, significantly leading other people. I, that is not, I'm not a good manager. I struggle with it. I'm an introvert. I'd rather just stay in a hole and write all day, which is pretty much, you know, what I do now. You still have to have people help you. So I find myself hiring other companies, other independent contractors that I don't have to manage that I don't mm-hmm. have to, to lead. And I always thought about that. I've been uh, cognizant of that. My dad is buddies with Dave Ramsey. They have been for 30 years now. Dave has his, I have no idea how many employees he has in his own building. My dad doesn't, I think he still talks about only having one or two employees or something. Now he's a sea of people who work for him, but not in that capacity that there is the chance. Well, I wanted people to, to see that, how you are going to lead them. If you know, with a company like yours, you really are impacting them. There's a lot of weight on your shoulders for your spirit of leadership, but that people can also run a business. And if that's not them, but they don't want that pressure, you're going to have to do business differently. Um, now yours, I don't know that you could, you've chosen one where you are going to be so closely tied with the people that you work with. And that's, uh, I, I, so I, I guess I'm, I'm pulling that out and say, I, I get that. That's a big deal. I, that's one that's hard for me to, uh, I haven't chosen that route because it is, it's such a, that's a daunting thing to have on you as well. Again, a, a, a role that you've taken on that, um, people need to realize the, the I think the gravity of. Yes, it, it is a heavy mantle to be a business owner. And for people that are looking to start up and for those listening that are business owners today, you know, we're going through a really challenging time right now. And that weight is heavy. It is, it's heavy for you if you are working for an employer and you're worried about your paycheck, you're worried about your job. And it's very heavy if you're a business owner and you're not only worrying about putting food on your own family's table, but you're worrying about keeping your entire family of work working and providing food on their table. You're worrying about covering payroll the next week. You're worrying about where the company is going to go. Yeah. And in challenging times such as we're in today, we we don't know. The future is uncertain and it does create that heavy load on, on the business owner. And the subject that I brought up um, in my book is when we went through the deep recession yeah. and that was a very challenging time to be a business owner. It's now a challenging time again. And there are definitely sleepless nights where you're worrying about how am I going to get my company through this? And usually I mean, my personality has been, I'm the cheerleader, I've come alongside, I've got the vision and I'm the positive leader mm-hmm. and there was a time that I got myself caught up in, in fear of what we were going through. And as I mentioned, I had a manager pull me aside. We had had a meeting where we had talked about, okay, what are we doing as a company? It's kind of a coming together of you know what's happened. Where are we taking the company? What do we need to do right now? What are our top priorities? And he pulled me aside after the meeting. And that's where he said to me, you know, Janelle, you're always the one that puts the wind in our sails, but you're also the one that can take it out. And that just really got me in the gut that day. And I realized that I was caught up in the fear and the anxiety. I had, I had got myself paralyzed by the situation and I simply couldn't lead that way because our emotions are so catchy. They're so catchy and I needed to make the choice and that's what it was. It was a choice of having a different mindset, a different perspective. And I apologized to this manager. I got the team back together and I was very transparent with them about, guys, this is a scary time. This is a time of uncertainty, but we can make this an opportunity and we're going to come together as a team. We're going to learn whatever we can. We're going to get back to the basics and we're going to come out of this stronger than ever before. And that's exactly what we were able to do. And And it was amazing when I changed my own perspective and my own mindset back to the one of optimism that I usually carry. 
all of a sudden the creativity of the team, you know, just blossomed again. We had fresh ideas, we had solutions, and we were able to move forward together. Yeah. Well, on that note, I mean, your book and this message obviously is a lot deeper than business. You're, you're taking business as a vehicle and sharing what you've learned through that. Uh, an initial premise of your message that I'm going to pull out here, recognizing the gap between where you are now and your highest potential. Potential is one of my favorite words. And yet I know that it's also a struggle with people, especially when you say highest potential. So my business partner, co-host of my other podcast, The True Life Show, Dr. Randy James talks, or he doesn't use the word well, because he says nobody can be well, uh, perfectly well, <laughs> but we can all be weller. And so I thought, you know, people hear that highest potential and may feel like, you know, can I ever reach my highest potential? I, I think we can all, nobody would be listening here right now if they didn't think, I, I, I got more in me. I've got more right. potential in me. And I think we would all agree, yeah, that we... We're not, I think a lot of us sit there and wonder how, how much of my potential am I not living up to? And you speak so much to that in your book and, uh, and do that so well. And I want people to hear that, that that aspect of potential, I think that we shortchange ourselves so much. I could even throw that question. Yeah. I mean, still, you know, your highest potential, you know, where do you feel you are scale of one to 10, Janelle, where are you right now? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. That's a mean question, uh, probably. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I would say that's something that I'm really always working on. And I don't believe that we'll ever get to a 10 because we're always going to be learning and growing and learning something <coughs> new, I believe, for all of our lives. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I work very hard on, and especially <clears throat> in these last few years as I've moved away from managing the facility company to doing more leadership coaching and development and helping people. And so working toward my potential, I believe that my, my potential and what I'm supposed to be doing is helping to build and grow leaders to be the best version of themselves, to better yeah. lead themselves so they can lead their companies. And I would say that I'm at a seven or eight on that scale, really working hard to help people look at their own lives and see where that gap is, help them identify that for themselves and then help give them solutions and point them in the direction and just give them that little nudge of encouragement to believe in themselves that they can take their lives to what their true calling is. Because I believe we all have a calling and purpose and it's up to each one of us to figure out what that is yeah. and then move in that direction. And that can shift potentially throughout our lives. Sure. Well, here's another big over, I'll call it an overarching perspective um, that you share in the book is, and in quotes right out of it, everything in life is a result of the choices you've made. I did a show not long ago, really based on that. It's a big topic to me. I know it's very hard for some people to hear who have authentically been victimized to whatever, whatever level you want to, you, you want to call And of course there's, there's horrific ones. And really before even digging into that, uh, that's a major part of your book as well is talking about, now I don't think you ever use that word, uh, but you talk about the event in your life of along this journey of the day that you came home and found yourself to be a single mother. And it, um, it gives a lot of credibility to you then coming back and making that statement. Um, I don't, we don't have to go real far into that, but uh, for those who haven't read the book yet, will you share a little bit of what happened right there that you then, is a major part, a foundational part of this story and has a lot to do with you then coming back and saying everything in life is a result of the choices you've made. Because that's not one that you chose. That's exactly right. And what you're talking about is the, the day that I came home from work and I, I got home, it was one of those typical, very busy Mondays where the day just seems to fly by and all of a sudden you realize it's the end of the day and time yeah. to get home. And I was looking forward to getting home and being with my family. And I drove into the driveway and it was, it just seemed really quiet. And I noticed that my husband's truck wasn't there, but I didn't really think anything of it. And I walked into the house, very quiet, nobody there, um, want, thought, well, that's kind of interesting, and wandered through and uh, then looked out the window in my office out to the backyard. And I saw my two youngest girls, they were four and seven at the time, playing out in the swing set. And I thought to myself, where's, where's their dad? 
and went down at saw them. They saw me. And of course, you, you know, the, the look of little girls or little kids and they see you with big grins on their faces. It's the best part of the day. And they yeah. came running in threw their arms around me. And after our hellos, I, I leaned down to them and I said, girls, where's your daddy? And they looked at each other and then they looked up at me and um, the little one said, mommy, daddy's not here. He left with a suitcase. And that was a pivotal moment in my life. And my world came crashing down at that point. And I knew in my gut that he had left and he had left for good. Mm. And we had had struggles over a number of years uh, with uh, him having an addiction. Uh, but I never thought that he would leave the family. And so we were abandoned at that point. And this is a point in my life where, you know, the girls were young. Um, my business was, was growing and thriving. And suddenly this was, this was all in, in my lap. And that what that led to was for myself making a choice. And you're exactly right. Um, we don't always choose the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And, we are not promised that this life on earth is going to be an easy one, but regardless of the circumstances, we always have the choice and that is our response. So I could have crawled into a, a corner of my room and into a little ball and never got up. And that's how I did feel on certain days, how the world, how in the world am I going to pick up the broken pieces of my girls and my life and go on but you make the choice to do it. And sometimes it's a day by day, minute by minute choice. But I, I decided that I was going to choose to be grateful for the things that I had in my life. I was gonna focus on those girls. I was gonna focus on um, my beautiful friends and family that supported me and on this business who needed me. And, yeah. I, and that's, that's really where I put my focus and decided to have the, decided, made that choice to have that mindset of optimism. You go on to say situations frequently occur that we do not expect or plan for. And you're talking back to the event that we mentioned where you know, the manager came and talked to you about how you influenced the team. And you said, I don't want to paraphrase a little bit, but you are going to be prepared to make sure you guys were strong, even in a down economy. Now we're sitting here recording uh, on April 1st, 2020 amidst the coronavirus. I don't even know where amidst, none of us do. We are amongst it. Um, but talk about a down economy with so many people, individuals and businesses being caught in a really bad place. And I keep thinking back to good old Dave Ramsey talking about we're all to have the emergency fund for the emergency that's not ever a surprise. It's going to happen. And it sounds like that has been somewhat of a thread for you individually as, a, as an individual, but also for your business. Well, you know what? And I can ask, you know, what's happening with you guys right now? I mean, so we talk about a down economy. A lot of those companies that you take care of, I'm sure have the doors shut right now. So you're surely not cleaning for them. And you've got these employees that need an right. income. How, how's it going? Yes, it's, it's definitely a tough time for, for so many businesses right now. And in, in our business, fortunately, we are considered an essential service. So we have been called to the front lines of the offense against COVID-19. And so our people have been all suited up in PPE and out disinfecting buildings. So we have been able to keep the majority of our team employed. We also, as you mentioned, we've prepared ourselves. You, you never know when those down economies are going to come. I don't think anybody could be prepared for where we are today and what we're facing today, but you can be prepared along the way to not have your debt in a place where it's not manageable to, you know, be able to have room in your, in your cash flow to be able to cover payrolls when client monies aren't coming in or, you know, the AR dries up and freezes for a while. So we, we had set those things in place, of course, just to be prepared always preparing for the contingency plan of what if my business drops 20% overnight, what mm -hmm. would we do? And we have that in writing so that we knew you know, if you're going to lose one of your largest clients or whatever may happen, that you always have some, you know, you're something to be prepared. Um, I think the biggest message and as I'm coaching today and, you know, being in, in the influencer space is, is the clients that I'm working with, the, the, 
the biggest driver is being paralyzed by fear right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the biggest message is we cannot as business leaders <clears throat> let fear win. We, we have to step up and be the courageous leaders that our teams need, that our companies need. And as hard as that is, that is our job as a leader. And that doesn't mean we're not afraid because I've, I'm afraid too. I, I'm concerned for my teams. Uh, I'm concerned for the future, but that is not what we need to focus on right now as business leaders. We need to be that shelter in the storm for our teams and for our clients. Um, we need to free our own mindset so that, as we talked about before, we can be creative because this is the time and hardship that we can find those opportunities, that we can serve our clients in new ways than ever before. You know, in my in my coaching and leadership development company, all of the, the training has been shut down that, you know, the conferences and yep. speaking yep. and those type of things have been shut down. And so we've switched to our online programs, doing you know Zoom calls like we're doing today. And so just figuring out those ways as a team that you can adapt and get your team around you and, and talk about those things. So let me pull out another statement here from you that's interesting to me. You said, before you make a change for the better, you must realize the life you are living is not working for you. It's an interesting statement because to I think so many of us, we can look at a new desire, a new goal, a new achievement, a higher potential, as we talked about before, that right. we want to achieve. And you're saying, wait, wait, wait. Before you do that, you realize the life you're living is not working for you. It made me think of, and I've mentioned this, I don't know why it's been on my mind a lot lately, uh, W. Edwards Deming, he said, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. I felt like you were calling us back to that. So you're, you're saying, so I, w- I want you to unpack that a little bit. Before you make a change for the better, you must realize the life you are living is not working for you. Tell me more about that. Yes. Well, one of the things that... I spend time on with my clients is goal setting and to create that vision of what they want their life, their business to look like, if it's the best version of themselves, if their company is providing the best things, what does that look like? And before you're creating those goals, you have to take that step back and see what's working and is not working. So in your own personal life, and I know we have many people listening that are de- that are developing their own selves, personal and professional development, we have to stop first and reflect on our own lives. And so in the book, I talk about a reflection process. process. This is really important. I do this for a couple of weeks at the end of each year, but I'm doing it on a quarterly basis as well. You have to take that time to look back and see what are those things in your life that are working for you, that are creating joy and fulfillment, and what are those things that are keep, that are keeping you up at night that aren't working? And e- evaluating, you know, this holistic approach to your life, not just looking at, well, hey, financially I'm doing well, but over here, you know, I'm I'm not spending any time with my kids, or you know, I'm not taking care of my health, and and just this holistic approach of your life, a holistic approach of your business, and all of the facets and what's working and what's not. Because only when you identify that, that then you can decide what you're gonna change and go forward to to make things better and to reach that highest potential. Yeah. You, uh, you know, with your coach's hat on, uh, again, you make a statement in there about, or, or maybe it's a chapter, um, but listening to your own voice. And when I heard that, it was in reference to, you know, watch out whose other voices you're listening to out there. Make sure you're listening to your voice. Okay which I get, though I know a lot of people who hear that don't have confidence in their own voice. And I, I wonder to some standpoint, if there's an if then aspect of that, listen to your own voice, if, because here you are, and, and as, mm-hmm. a, as a coach, if you're seeking guidance, if you're uh, getting positive input, if you're seeking wisdom, I mean, there is some kind of that aspect of, you know, God will work all things for good, to those who are called according to his will. It's not a blanket statement. It's just kind of that if then that listening to your own voice, maybe give us some discernment in that listening to your own voice, 
But yeah, if you are not feeding it correctly, is there a place to be cautious of your own voice as well? And I think a lot of folks struggle just with that statement, though, because they're not sure whether to believe there. They've made the mistakes, especially that. And we all have. I've made mistakes. Right. Can I trust my own voice? And you're saying, listen to your own voice. And there's tension there. But uh, talk to that a little bit, if you would. You bet. Well, you do have to determine for yourself what your most important priorities are. And I, and I have some tools in the book to help you define and narrow that because it's different for, for all of us. We're all going to have different things that are important to us. And so when I talk about listening to our own voice, it's listening to our own voice to make sure they're aligned with what our purpose and our, and our values are and where it's easy to get caught up and with a success lie is we buy into the lie of what society says success looks like, what society's version of success is, and not even really paying attention to what success means to us. And that's very important that we know what it is that's most important to us. And by taking time to reflect, you know, to do some reflection, to go through uh, the assessment, to talk about um, identifying what are those most important things to you and really narrowing it down so that you can then have that as your compass and that's your foundation that you go from. And you know, for, for you and I, faith is a big component of it. And so that is, that is the compass that can help drive the decisions that you're making. And so I, I ask people, you know, in the book and the people that I coach is, you know, when you look at yourself in your work, is your work aligned with your values? And is the life that you're living aligned with those values? And, and if you don't know what those are, then, then that is something that you need to get some help on that I help with and, and um, the book can help with. I, we need to surround ourselves with mentors that are positive roles in our life. I mean, I am, I am coached. I have an executive coach. I, I highly recommend that others have coaches in their lives, executive coaches or life coaches, because that is how we become that better person. We don't have to figure it all out for, for ourselves. We can get those mentors around us. And in that, I don't know, three or four minutes uh, that you just talked right there, you said aligned with values so many times. I mean, that is such a significant thread of the book. It brings me back to, again, the story of you deciding to remain part time because it's not that the guy uh, who gave you counsel was wrong in general, in general, but you knew what your Mm -hmm. value was. And I do want people to hear that, that you weren't putting up an an ID, a narcissistic ideal. This is a value for your kids, for your life. Right. And you said no to conventional wisdom uh, Mm -hmm. in quotes there uh, because you had your own values. And that is such a staunch part of, of this book. You know, there's another piece that you pulled up individuals and companies don't improve automatically that I got enamored with for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it was because, well, no, you know, I think it was good. I did part of this and I was working from home as, as I've been doing a little more lately during all the COVID stuff and my kids are there and I thought about them. You have little kids and you expect them to prove, improve automatically. They, they do by proxy. They're growing up, they're right. getting bigger. They're learning more by osmosis, if nothing else. Then they go to school not my not my favorite bastion of of new knowledge necessarily is school, but at least it's something. They're going to school, and yet we know so often that people will go to formal school. They get they get out of it, and that's where their education stops. And yet, I I again was enamored with you talking about that because I think we do have that that myth somewhat that just because the days are passing, just because we're getting a little, a little older, we're improving. And man, I don't see it culturally. The stats don't point to that. It really points to pretty quickly. We start to devolve or stagnate. And I, I you get, there's your second book, Janelle. I'm, I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll challenge you to, to, to put that on because that, that we are not improving only by that intentional, that intentional, uh, uh, uh proactive, pursuit of growth will we and even the maintenance if we're just maintaining i think that's what bothers me some even just maintaining we're generally still devolving we've got to be improving especially as we age i think or we're going backwards and so for you to put that individuals and companies don't improve automatically you actually in the book get into i think a little bit of both um kind of dissecting that out 
I, I do. And it's, it's important to live with intention because otherwise, if you're living on automatic, you know, that comes as a result of our habits and we're yeah. doing things over and over again and we're not paying attention. And in all areas of our life and our business, if we're not paying attention, the habits that we've created for ourselves are going to take us down a path yeah. and we are going to drift. And that's one of the biggest problems that I see in entrepreneurs and business professionals that I coach. If they're having an issue in one area or the other, it's they've been living on automatic yeah. and they've just allowed themselves to drift over time. And sometimes you end up in a place that you never expected to go. You didn't expect to be in that estranged relationship. You didn't expect that your business was, you know, financially again going to be close to going under because you hadn't been intention intentional about preparing for it. So anytime that we can set ourselves up to intentionally live in these different areas the way that we want to that's where we're going to be able to, to have the success that we are looking for. And I like your scorecard idea. I mean, I, I use that as well is in these areas of life that are important to you, how are you doing and score yeah. yourself on that? You know, have, I have an assessment that, that people that I coach take, which helps you score where you are on that. And then, then you can make steps to improve in those areas that you want to make changes. And the other side of that is if you think that you're doing well in a particular area and you score yourself in an eight, nine, or 10, then great. What are you doing that's making that happen for you? And how are you going to sustain that performance? Because you don't want to forget about that just because this maybe comes a little bit more naturally yeah. for you, but celebrate that. So often we, we focus too much on, on our weaknesses and we, we want to celebrate those things that we're really good at. And those are our areas of mission too, that we can help others improve. Well, on, so on that note, you had a quote in there, uh, one of my favorites, Frederick Buechner, who's one of my uh, uh, favorite thinkers of all time. I think I own every book that guy's ever, ever written, even the ones that I don't even understand, because sometimes he gets really poetic. Uh, but you pulled out the quote, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Okay. Reconcile that with you have a cleaning business. I don't necessarily... I uh, think that that means it's your greatest calling is to clean businesses. How do you, how do you though extrapolate that into uh, the business that you have and with the work that you're doing, the role that you have? Thank you. It's, it's really for me about building and developing people. I mean, I, I love building business. Yeah. It's more about serving and building the people. I, I have just loved that. And I, I realized as I was growing my business that I loved to grow a business and to serve our clients, but even more, I love to develop the people and found myself as we're having client meetings is I'm asking questions about them personally and helping them drive to their own better performance yeah. and, and being that person for people. And so that's really how I did the side business with my husband and business partner, Graham, legacy leader, because we want to develop leaders to be the best that they can be. Yeah. And that's how we got into the leadership development and coaching and, and the writing that I'm doing now. And like you, I, I, yeah. I love to write. That's something I, I could do a lot more of, but I, I find myself needing that mix of being with people as well. Yeah. So. Well, in that same frame, though, of calling and missional work, as you talked about, you talked about having seeking employees who also have a passion for the work. So, again, is that they literally have a passion for cleaning or does it go beyond that as well when you're talking about your employees? Oh, absolutely. It's it's not about the cleaning. I mean, there needs to be some skill sets there for sure, but it's it's a bigger thing. I mean, when we look at at our business we look at, we are helping to keep our clients' facilities safe and healthy. I mean, that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're not just cleaning. We're creating a safe and healthy environment for people to work and play. Yeah. So it's just, it's bigger. That's the mission and really serving, serving our clients. I mean, we, we too want to take care of our clients' facilities as if they were our own. So it's that, it's that care piece that really has drawn uh, people to to our doors at, at MSNW. Uh, we have uh, the MSNW way, and it is just all of our values of what it means to be on the MSNW team because we have behaviors and we want people that are drawn to our mission and values. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I know you're going to say values and I'm going to go right back to values again, because you talk <laughs> about, you, you talk about the difference between values and priorities in the book. And I thought that's most people use those hand in hand, that that is their priority mm-hmm. is their values. So, uh, differentiate those for us values and priorities. You bet. Well, values is really who you are and the foundation of who you are and that compass, if, if you will. And the priorities are those things then that you're going to do that align with those values that will take you forward. Yeah. So for me, you know, I narrow down and I encourage everybody to narrow down your, your main values, your core values, so that you know what they are. And mine are faith, family, and impact. Yeah. And if I, I make sure that everything that I do aligns with those three things. And if it doesn't, then I'm not on the right path. And my, my mission is to impact others, to be able to help others grow in their leadership. And so if I'm not creating that positive impact in the work that I'm doing, then I'm not living, I'm not aligned with, with my values. So then as I set goals for myself personally, for our family, for our companies, um, that I'm leading, I, we set priorities. We just make sure that they're aligning, you know, back to our company values, yeah. which ultimately company values look a little different than your personal values, but they're still aligned. So I suggest for people, if they are the business owner, you need to know what your own personal values are for, are first, and then you create your company values and they're, they're really going to come out of that. And I'd be remiss with you talking on that if I didn't remind people, if you have not heard, uh, I think I've done two interviews with Dina Dwyer Owens and she has the book Values Inc. Type in Dina Dwyer, D-W-Y-E-R Owens, The Ziegler Show, you'll find that. And she goes deep, we go deep into that aspect of having these values set uh, for your your company. Um, You uh, make a statement on this aspect as well. Look behind one's behavior and you will likely uncover the values behind them. Reconcile that with also people's behavior that belies their fears, their insecurities. Uh, Reconcile that with, again, those values. Is that a, because I think, I think values still fit in there Um, Mm -hmm. as they're leading, you know, with these behaviors, it does belie the root, let's say the root issue. Uh, hope is it hopefully it's values sometimes Mm -hmm. it is fears and securities and again how people need to be able to reconcile that for themselves right well again the reflection piece on taking the time to look at yourself to look at yourself in the mirror to see how you are behaving to get feedback from those that are closest to you to have those kind of relationships where people will call you on a behavior that you don't want to exhibit. And we do this at our work. We establish these, this, the MSNW way, these company behaviors. And as a team, we made the decision early on as a management team that we were going to hold each other to that. And I said, hey, guys, and you know, my, my president, uh, Terrell, the same thing. Um, if we are not living these values, you these behaviors, you call us yeah. on it as well. And we make sure to have that open dialogue. I do believe that fear plays a big role. And it is so important. I know I've talked about mindset a lot today, but I am so passionate about our mindset because everything starts there. And what what we think, what we're thinking about ends up being what we say, ends up leading to what we do in those behaviors that we talked about. So it all goes back. If there's negative behaviors, it comes back to what's going on right up here in our brains. And so that is our job to understand that route. And sometimes we need help, whether that's an executive coach, whether that's a counselor talking with a family member, but we have to become aware of what those those things are that are tripping us up because only when we do can we make those changes. And I've done some things in my own life to to help me become more self-aware and I've put together practices, a morning routine to help me get started off in the right way. And that those things definitely make a difference. Well, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment in our habits show, but you know, I, I think I want to anchor this one, Janelle with again, coming back to, and you have this in the book, co- the core values for the business. You've talked about this continuously as we talk here. And I think everybody here on the Ziegler show, they know this, they know that the business exists, should exist for more than money. And as the owner, we can have this altruistic 
vision for what we want this business to be about, who we want to serve. But I know so many today, I hear it over and over again, they really struggle to communicate that effectively to the employees, to have an employee that really is, is, is interested in the missional aspect of the company beyond just their paycheck is just, is just difficult. And I, you know, even as a communicator and I would say as a motivator, um, my gosh, I can, again, extrapolate that even to, to a parent, you know, to say, these are the values of the, of the family, but to get your kid on board is right. difficult just some, just some guidance into how to authentically do that. I, I find a lot of business owners who are just really, really uncomfortable with it to, to feel, uh, genuine in sharing this altruistic, maybe this bigger vision for the company other than right. the paycheck. How are there some specific ways you've been able to do that where the employees really can grasp onto that? It really is a value to them. They do really see how it, there's a tangible benefit to them in having that bigger vision. Right. Well, first I'm gonna say that it is a tremendous challenge. It's a challenge for me, it's a challenge for business leaders today in our facility management company. We operate remotely where we have so many people across a number of states and to try to, to get the message out all the way to those on the front line can be very challenging to do yeah. that. Some things that, that we've done that I believe help is first of all, defining what what it looks like, defining what your mission is. Sometimes companies, they may know it at the top, but it hasn't been put through the organization. It's something that's not even on their website. It's not in their materials when people apply for a job. We actually, as part of our hiring process, we are talking in the interview process already, of this is what it means to be a part of the MSNW team. Does this feel like it's you know a fit for you? And we actually have them speak to some of the company values and you know, why they want to come work for for our company, and and we find that out up front and we talk about those things up front. We also do a lot of things with the team. I talked about our care culture and just this focus of care on our clients, our, our team, and also our community. So we put things in place for our team members around the region to get involved in the care process. So in yeah. doing things in the community, we have a care fund where people can take you know, a dollar out of their paycheck or whatever they'd like um, that goes towards supporting people within our own company who have needs or for community needs. So they're, they're all you know, getting to participate in that. And then finally, just really making sure that every role in the company knows how their job connects right back to the mission of the company and that they know why their role is important. I mean, the person who answers the phone at the front desk is a very important person because they're, they're the first voice that's going to show care mm -hmm. to the client or the team member that's calling in. We want that person to feel cared about. So what does that look like? That means they answer the phone you know, immediately. They answer with a very friendly and positive voice that they are a person of gen that's authentically a caring individual. So that's just one example. No, I love that one because as you know, we have a corporate culture right now where more and more people are removed from the end result, the end user, and they don't even know. I, I couldn't get out of bed without knowing the impact that my work today does. And we have businesses, as you know, or that they're just, you've got to have, you know, here's the front lines out here and it's being run by a high rise back here in this city. And if they right. don't know how it affects, um, it takes its toll on people. Uh, Janelle, I'm just, I'm grateful for you going beyond your role as business owner and doing the writing to bring this uh, forward, to bring your journey and to bring your heart. Uh, the message alone, just on values and knowing what they are and not moving from that and finding success around it is just uh, tremendous. So uh, my big thanks to Tom Ziegler, who I think three times said, Kevin, you've got to get her on the show. Um, now now <laughs> I know why. So, so thanks to him for doing that. And thanks for taking the time to share with us. I know it'll be a, uh, just a, a great boon of spirit for everybody who's going to hear Janelle. Well, wonderful. Well, please, if you haven't read the success lie, five simple truths to overcome, overwhelm and achieve peace of mind, pick up the book, connect with me on social media. I'd love, love to connect with you. Absolutely.
Well, there you go, folks. A profound discussion with Janelle Bruland about business and the gap between where you are now, where we all are now, and our highest potential. Again, you can connect with Janelle at thesuccesslie.com, where she has a companion workbook to her book at the same title, and find her intentional leadership podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, coming up in episode 786. Where do you have mastery in your life? I mean, being a complete master of anything is questionable to pronounce about yourself, but everyone listening to the show likely has an area of your life where you can claim a level of mastery and hopefully a growing level of mastery. Well, this is the focus of this upcoming episode. And what we culminate with is the essential value of knowing your areas of mastery. And as you'll hear, we're talking about transferable areas of skill, ability, uh, and the responsibility also to be pursuing increased mastery in our lives overall. Well, Tom Ziegler joined me to discuss this issue, and we talked through some listener comments as well to the question I posted simply, where do you have the most mastery in your life? Really important topic. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <music>